EMS1.com is the number one online resource for the EMS community and authoritative voice in pre-hospital care. Our members enjoy access to exclusive content from top EMS educators and physicians, award-winning e-newsletters, original video series, member-only product discounts, access to free continuing education courses, and much more. If you're an EMS and not a member of EMS1, join the community for free today. Just go to ems1.com backslash registration. That's ems1.com backslash registration to become a member. Well, once again, it's time to go Inside EMS. This is the Polar Vortex edition of Inside EMS. And coming to us from the frigid state of the deep south in Louisiana, our good friend Kelly Grayson. KG, how are you suffering down there this polar vortex day? <laughs> it's not all that cold at all, man. It's uh, We got up into the, uh, into the 50s yesterday, so... Uh, and the temperature has yet to drop below freezing. So that's, that's just horrible, horrible. So it, it's no secret. I might even have to break out a long sleeve shirt. Oh my goodness! Please don't do that. If you need me to come down there and uh, you know help you pick out some clothes or something, we are. I was going to say no. I was going to say keep you warm, spoon. but we're not no. cuddling some Valero. Quit asking. Okay. Well, just remember, I would be the big spoon regardless. So you know, <laughs> it's no secret, Kelly, that you and I record the show earlier in the week and then it gets posted on huh? Friday. So today is Thursday and I'm looking at my weather forecast and it'll be four degrees today. But here's what's amazing. Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, it's a high of respectively 59 degrees, 61 degrees, 63 degrees. What's going on? Uh, uh, global warming? Climate change? Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, we can't call it global warming anymore. It's climate change. Whatever, man. Whatever. Right. So. I mean, you, 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 were, you weren't helpful at all on that question. So let's just move on. Uh, to apparently, the the uh, was the the cold monster is uh, is acting up. We need to you know supplicate the heat heat monster and see if oh, we can warm it up a little bit. We're going back to some old cartoons from Christmas holidays. So, that's right, man. Yeah. How about that? How about that? Yeah, that's good. Those, right. those ranking bass cartoons. The kids these days they just don't appreciate. They just cold. do not know. No, like they just don't know. You know what's funny though? Every so often I'll pop up some uh, Tom and Jerry on YouTube or some of the old Bugs Bunny on YouTube just to kind of give me that warm fuzzy feeling that I had when I was younger. But uh, so Kelly. As we get into today's topic, I guess we could say it's finally happened. You and I, over the course of this show, have debated and, and argued and talked about arming paramedics and EMTs on the truck, and it's finally happened. And there's a story out of Virginia, and I'm going to let you tee it up for the listeners. They probably know about it, but that's going to be our discussion today. Well, Senate Bill 1012 in the Virginia legislature passed on a party-line vote, 21 Republicans versus 19 Democrats uh, passed it and are going to send it to the House, allowing firefighters, EMS personnel, and any member of the Virginia National Guard Armed Reserves to carry a concealed weapon without a permit, provided their employer uh, allows them to do so in their company policies. Um, this is an, a, another example of the proliferation of states uh, passing legislation to allow uh, EMS personnel and firefighters to carry concealed weapons on duty. And, uh, I think that it's a, it's a good thing. Uh, I, I don't think that, that 
everyone has has adequately considered the ramifications of this, uh, but I don't think it's going to be all that big a deal uh, in implementation. I'd like to hear what you think. Well, I mean, I think that there's a couple of things. Right now, if this is going to be, you know, the law in Virginia and then eventually the law of the land, I think we have to, you know, consider what this means for our career field. And then from an organizational standpoint, we've got to figure out how to, I guess, make it work. I mean, because I think the organizations will have the final say. Now, one of the things that I, I understand from this, and please correct me if I'm wrong, I think the senator that proposed this bill is the parent of an EMT. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Senator Amanda Chase. Yeah, so I, I think that when we talk about this, was it really thought out? Was it something that I think I want to do for my own child to keep them safe? Uh, was there any lobby to that senator that said we need to try to do this? I would really like to kind of know the backstory as to how this got approved and as to why it got approved. But regardless of that, if we now start to see this happen in Virginia, how long is it before we start to see this happen in the other states? And is this something that we need to prepare for? I I do think my personal feeling is that it is a mistake to arm EMTs and paramedics. I think that the first time an EMT or paramedic has to use uh, use their weapon, it changes the game of EMS forever. And it's not going to be the same career field as that happens. Now, with that said, who are we to sit here and say that they shouldn't have the opportunity to defend themselves if needed? But one of the things that I think gave me a little bit of pause, and you kind of said it again, that they can conceal without a permit, which means they're not going to have the necessary training to know when and how to utilize that weapon in those in those uh, situations. I mean, would you agree? Yes, yes, I would. And, you know, first, as a, as a philosophical position, I will deny no man the, the right to legally defend himself using whatever means are legally available, and that includes a handgun. So if it's legal in Virginia, rock on with it. Uh, you do you. Uh, that's a personal decision that everyone has to make when it comes to armed self-defense. Uh, but you're right in that uh, the, the concealed handgun courses, uh, you know, usually at least cover uh, some degree of, of self-defense scenarios and, and, and some training. However, I don't know that it's that big a difference because, Chris, I'm a concealed handgun permit holder and, and uh, the the certification course in Louisiana and many other states is laughably simple. Uh, the the firearms qualification was in, in my state was uh, I think thirty six rounds. I had twelve rounds from uh, f- uh, fifteen feet, twelve rounds from ten feet, and twelve rounds from six feet. Uh, I shot out the center head on my target and painted a little smiley face on it because I got bored by sending the the rounds all through the same hole. Um, and the vast majority of, of training in a concealed handgun course is there's, there's weapons safety, how to operate your weapon safely, how to, how to manipulate it and do the manual arms for whatever weapon you're using, uh, and conflict resolution and avoidance of, of situations where you might get, uh, might get in a gunfight. Uh, the best way to win a gunfight is to not get in one, uh, and the state laws that are applicable to self-defense. What is not uh, 
commonly cover is things that EMTs really, really need to know. Things like handgun retention and shoot, don't shoot scenarios, uh, pretty extensive shoot, don't shoot scenarios and, and pretty extensive training in, in, uh, retention. If I'm in the back of an ambulance with a handgun and I'm wrestling with a patient, I don't have a handgun. We have a handgun. Uh, and that's something that, that, um, is not covered in most typical, uh, CHL courses. So, uh, and the fact that you, you're not even, uh, you're going to be able to carry without even that, uh, is problematic. Having said that, I still don't think that anything will radically change, uh, as far as, as, um, the environment that people are in and, and, uh, and EMS is not going to be, uh, fundamentally changed by the passage of this law if it actually makes it past the house. You know, one of the other things that I think is important, and I too have a concealed carry certification, but one of the things that I think that I found value in, I mean, you know, when you think about defense and, you know, that you've got to put, you know, 50 rounds through a target at different distances, I don't know that that's where the importance of that comes in. I think the importance of those courses come in in the legality of knowing when, Mm -hmm. of knowing where to carry. So now if you're an EMT, uh, you're a paramedic and you walk into a school, do you have to disarm? Yeah. You, you know what I mean? So I, I think it opens. Yeah. And then now what do you do with your weapon? Do you just put it in the seat, under the seat in the ambulance? Do you Are you going to be able to forego the law and just walk into the school with that concealed weapon in your waistband? So I, I think that there are other things that come into play here that we're not considering. But here, here's why I want to take the conversation now, Kelly. So you and I are in the leadership of an EMS agency in Virginia. This law has just passed. How do we now make the determination, one, do we allow our employees to conceal carry? But number two, what do we have to put in place from an organizational standpoint if we decide to let them carry to make sure that the organization stays safe? Because tell me that if an EMT or paramedic pulls out a weapon in a situation where they're going to be found liable, that the organization isn't going to be liable as well in this litigious society. Uh, I, I, as far as protecting yourselves from liability, I, I really don't know. And I would imagine that most EMS systems, uh, most fire departments are going to say no, uh, and keep any, uh, no handguns policies in place, uh, at their, at their places of, uh, of work. However, the places that do, um, if I were an EMS leader in one of those agencies, I would say first and foremost that, that if you are going to carry a handgun on the truck, uh, you have to be approved uh, by the leadership of the agency. Uh, and, and that's what this bill allows. It, it, merely, it merely allows legislatively the option uh, for agencies to allow their EMTs to go on. And if that is the case, then I'm going to make any of my personnel that would carry a concealed weapon, they're going to be able to carry a concealed weapon with a permit and with additional um, handgun retention training and shoot, no shoot scenarios. I'd find a reputable tactical handgun trainer uh, and make them go through the course. Now I'm not going to pay for the course, but if they want the privilege of carrying the the weapon uh, for their personal self-protection at my agency, then I'm going to make them go through that course. 
that's not an onerous thing. Uh, th that's not an, a, a huge obstacle to overcome. And personally, I think that's something that, that every uh, person who's going to uh, carry a concealed weapon needs to do anyway. Um, but if I'm the leader of an agency, I have the ability to dictate that. Uh, <clears throat> I think uh, also on the, the, the con side of the argument, people haven't really, the people that are against it uh, are often reflective, reflexively against it. And they really haven't considered the ramifications either. But I'd like to hear, what would you do uh, as an EMS agency leader or, or administrator? What would you do in that regard? Yeah, I mean, that's a really good question. I don't really know how I feel about it. You know, I, I do believe in the Second Amendment. I do believe that individuals have the right to arm. I could tell you that, you know, during the Ferguson event here in 2014, I looked at my gun safe many a day as we were getting ready to go out and uh, feeling uncomfortable with the civil disobedience, but having a little restraint mm -hmm. as I needed to try to set the example for my workforce. You know, I like your I like your scenario, though. I mean, I, I think that if we were going to bring it into the organization that we would require them to have a concealed carry permit, that we uh, went through some additional training that there needed to be policies in place where it talked about qualifications on a regular basis. You know, one of the things, and I don't know if you do it, Kelly, but I, I, I've done it for a lot of years, and, you know, uh, I would be in my office, or I would be in my bedroom, or I'd be in my living room, and I have weapons that are, uh, you know, strategically placed throughout the house. Mm -hmm. And I would say to myself, someone just came in the back door. Someone just came in the front door. And I would walk that route how I would handle that situation in that scenario. And I don't know that we do that enough. So when, when someone breaks into our home or when someone, and we now need to figure out how we're going to defend against that situation, we're really kind of put in the spot without that training to figure out how we're going to do that. I think a lot goes into that, you know, being able to say, someone's just come in my back door, I'm sitting in my living room, how am I going to handle that situation? and kind of playing that out in real time, actually doing it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, again, when you talk about role play scenarios, I, I think that there's validity in, in that that gives you the confidence to handle. I think another thing that I would think about is, do I dictate where they're allowed to conceal? So do I yeah. say that you can't have a shoulder holster? Do I say that it has to be in the small of your back instead of being on your hip? I mean, do we get that... You know, do we get that detailed, Kelly? Because you said it great, and you're kind of the expert in this field when it comes to firearms. But, you know, you said it very well that, you know, you're wrestling with a, a patient in the back of an ambulance, and you don't have a gun, but we have a gun. Now, do we do we try to, you know, uh, put policy in place that says... And you even saying it, it sounds stupid, that we got to put policy mm -hmm. in place as to where you're able to keep your gun. But I, I don't know the answer to these. I think we're. I think it was easy to talk about making policy for medical marijuana than it was yeah. for you know concealed carry. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, uh, the schools schools don't ban uh, uh, marijuana in your bloodstream. Neither do banks and and hospitals. Uh, they don't ban that sort of thing in your bloodstream. They do ban a, a weapon on your hip or or strapped to your ankle or or something like that. Uh, and and that's that's another one of those. Uh, those obstacles uh, that's going to have to be well thought out. Uh, we go into jails, we go into schools, we go into banks, we go into hospitals, all places where guns are traditionally not allowed. Now, 
<clears throat> having said that, I, I, I don't know the text of the bill uh, in uh, before the Virginia House now. Uh, it, it may have uh, provisions that allow uh, concealed carry in, in other states or in, in, in certain venues. Um, you know, but but on the federal level, places like post offices and, and banks and that sort of thing uh, are, are typically uh, um, non-permissive environments. Uh, but many states, uh, Texas, for example, and, and others uh, allow uh, concealed carry in public buildings. Um, you can go into the courthouse. You can go into the state capitol uh, while the legislature is in session with a concealed carry handgun. As a matter of fact, if you show them your CHL card, uh, I believe in Texas, you're allowed to skip around the security line. Um, that is a, a right provided to citizens of that state. However, we're going to respond to a number of non-permissive environments. And if we're going to carry on the, on the ambulance, we have to have a plan in place of what to do and how to secure our firearm uh, when we're in one of those non-permissive environments, schools, banks, hospitals, yeah, and that's the big jails thing. in and out of Sally ports. Yeah, let me ju- let me jump on you right there because hospitals. That's every single mm-hmm. call we run with a patient that we have to go into the facility. Every now, single call. Now, yeah. now let, let's think about this logistics. Okay, we're carrying. We have a patient in the back of our compartment. We're delivering the highest quality of patient care. We pull into the hospital. Before I take the patient out, I've got to take the weapon off my hip, and I've got to put it somewhere. Does that mean, as the as the uh, leader of the organization, I have to put lock boxes in the truck? Are you going to put your weapon in the same box you're locking your narcotics up if you have <laughs> narcotics locked? So now that's what uh, I was say. Yeah, I just yeah. put it in the narc lock box, and if you don't have one, it's it's a hundred dollar solution to put a, a, a good. But am I paying uh, for that now? Box. Do I got to outfit huh? all my ambulances with with lock box with with narcotic lock? There there are systems out there that they carry their narcs on their person the whole shift. Mm-hmm. So you know, but now I've got to stop my patient care to remove my weapon. And usually, uh, you know, do you have to unload it? Are you going to keep it loaded? Are you going to keep a round in the chamber? Or if you're a revolver, you know, and, and then you got... So I, I see that there's a lot of challenges because every single time we walk through the sliding doors of that ER, you feel like a Jedi too when you walk through that and you just kind of move your hand mm-hmm. and the door's open? That's right. No, I don't know. But These are not the droids you're looking for. That's right. Uh, um, but you know what I mean? So now how, how are yeah. we dealing with that? Well, personally, uh, I would, uh, the rule at my agency uh, would be uh, no unloading and you carry with a round in the chamber. And if you have to uh, remove your weapon, secure your weapon in the vehicle uh, in a non-permissive environment, you take holster and all. So I would probably make holster suggestions as well uh, or holster requirements as well. The first being that uh, nobody uh, in my agency carries a weapon in an Uncle Mike's holster or a Serpa <laughs> because those are just stupid and cheap and trash. Um, but if you carry in a good holster uh, with with uh, belt clips, take the holster off uh, and the handgun inside it and store it in the lockbox. Uh, no loading and unloading, no carrying. Uh, empty chamber carry is just flat out stupid. Um, if you need a handgun, you really, really need a handgun right then, and you don't have time to manipulate uh, the gun to, to chamber around. Um, and most uh, negligent discharges happen during administrative handling of the firearm. Loading and unloading and cleaning is when the vast majority 
of accidental or negligent, I'm not going to call them accidental, but the vast majority of negligent discharges happen. Uh, so a good friend of mine is saying, you know, you want to be safe? Stop touching it. Leave your gun in its holster. A holstered gun is a safe gun. Um, so that would be my rule. The, the lockbox thing is not really an issue. You know, I, I really, it's, it's, it's a hundred bucks for a, a decent lockbox or even significantly less. And, and many ambulances already have them in place, uh, to store their, their narcs in. The other issue though, that, that we, we don't often think about is, uh, mindset mindset. And this is why I don't carry a weapon on the ambulance and, uh, aside from the fact that it's not allowed by my employer and I'd soon be unemployed if I were to, um, even if it were legal in Louisiana to do and Acadian ambulance allowed me to do it, I don't know that I would carry one for the simple reason that it's a fundamental difference in your mindset, the way you look at life and the way you look at your job to go from a caregiver mindset to a combat mindset. And make no mistake, the, the gun is not the weapon. The gun is the tool you use, but the weapon is your mindset. How your situational awareness, how you size up potential threats, how you manage unknown contacts, um, generally your outlook when you're out and about. Uh, and when you're carrying a concealed weapon, your, your manner changes quite some uh quite a bit. Uh, I, I'm, I'm gentler in my speech. I avoid more situations uh, than I would otherwise because I know the ramifications of pulling a weapon and potentially killing someone. I don't know that most EMS providers are ready to take the step from going to compassionate caregiver uh, to viewing everyone as a potential threat. And that's what you have to do when you're carrying a concealed weapon. Everyone is a potential threat. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. That's going to be a big... You, you don't think so? You know, I, I think that... And I may be a little bit different in my approach. I mean, uh, regardless of... You know, I, I, I love the James, James Mattis quote, Mad Dog Mattis quote. Where he says, be nice, but have a plan to kill everyone. And, you know, being trained in the military and I think having that advanced training of hand-to-hand -hand combat... I am always in a I am always in a position of sizing up people regardless of who they are or situations and I find myself even at 53 years old that when I walk into a place I'm always looking around and surveying the situation and I'm looking for people who could be threats or and you know I've done that my whole life since my 20s and you know it really is almost irritating when you know you have to you know think that way but I think when I was trained as a young man in my early 20s, it's just a foundation that stuck with me. Now, there are times, I will tell you, that I leave the house and I don't carry a weapon. There are other times where I decide to carry a weapon. And I don't know, I've always tried to analyze what is it about that day or what is it about that situation of leaving the house that says, I'm going to carry today. Is it a feeling? Is it a, you know, is my gut telling me this may be the day that I have to defend myself? As I get older, you know, even though you have the ability to defend yourself, you know, with your hands, you know, you get to be 53 years old and you start to put on some weight and you get to be a little out of shape and you start to huff and puff as you climb a, a set of stairs. I don't know that I can defend myself, you know, uh, physically anymore, that I may need to use some type of other means to keep myself and my family safe. 
But I don't know, you know, I, I love the discussion about the mindset because I do agree with you. I do agree that it's a different mindset, but I don't know that I've separated that mindset carrying or not. And I, that may be just a character flaw I have. Well, no, I think what you were describing is situational awareness. And, and every EMT and every person needs to, needs to practice some degree of situational awareness. You know, Colonel Cooper uh, had, had the whole uh, color code system from, from condition white to condition red uh, uh, to, to kind of grade um, at what level you're at to uh, preparation-wise, mental preparation-wise to, to uh, administer uh, lethal force. But we, we all have to, to practice some degree of situational awareness just to keep ourselves safe. You know, you, you boil it down to keep your heads on a swivel. But it's as simple a thing as, as you know, uh, consciously noting uh, access and egress routes from a residence and staying out of the bedroom and staying out of the kitchen. But we can't always stay out of the bedroom. We can't always stay out of the kitchen. We, we have to go into those places. That's where the patient is. Um, uh, things like don't stand directly in front of the door uh, when you knock on it. Stand beside something solid uh, alongside the door frame. Um, announce yourselves you know, little things like that. Uh, but in the back of an ambulance, it's kind of hard to do that. When I talked about the, the, the self-defense mindset, you know, um, are you going to be able to sit down on a couch next to grandma and put your arm around her? That sort of thing. Are you going to be able to use your right hand, uh, to do things when, when you're, when I'm carrying a concealed weapon, I, I try to keep my right hand free for most things, uh, or at least whatever I'm doing or manipulating is something I can drop very quickly if I had to. Um, when I'm carrying a concealed weapon, I don't go into the bad places of town because I don't want to get in a gunfight. Now, um, that's a job description for EMTs. We go to the bad places of town. That's where the people get hurt and get sick uh, most often, uh, is in all those places that we would normally avoid um, a as a citizen carrying a concealed weapon. Uh, I don't think that, uh, you know, the detractors uh, of concealed carry on duty are going to say, well, you know, scene safe, uh, have law enforcement clear the scene. Uh, you don't need a gun. And, and that's not well, a well thought out position either because the safe, the unsafe scenes are not what kill us, Chris, you know, unsafe scenes are not what kill us because we don't go into unsafe scenes. What results in a line of duty death for an EMT uh, that happened by violence rather than a car accident is the safe scene that went rodeo without any warning. You know, we got into a place that we did not think was hazardous and a threat to us and the situation changed radically and tragedy resulted from it. Those are the things that we didn't see coming. You know, I'm, I'm fond of saying that, you know, people ask me why I carry a gun. So do you expect trouble? No, if I expected, if I expected trouble, I'd carry a rifle. But you bring up okay. a good point, too, that you, we stage and we wait to clear the scene or the scene is clear for us. Do we start to make the decisions now because we're concealed carry that we go into the scenes because we're going to feel safer? And I think that that goes back to your story of mindset. Yeah, I would I would hope not. I would hope not. And And honestly, I really don't think that anything will drastically change. Uh, and the people who, who are against uh, concealed uh, carry on duty uh, will think, oh, yeah, we're going to be arming Virginia EMTs. No, we're not. That's not what's going to happen. What's going to happen is people who already conceal carry a firearm 
have one more place they can now carry it, and that's on duty, if their agency allows. So no one's going to go out, flock out to the gun store, and buy themselves a holster and a, and a firearm, uh, and go seek out weapons trainers and get the training, and, and all of a sudden, all the EMTs in Virginia are carrying heat. Uh, that's not what's going to happen. What you're going to have is a very small subset of society who is already among the most law-abiding demographics in society, least likely to commit a crime, most law-observant. They're just going to carry in one more place. And what I predict will happen is a whole lot of nothing. But that's what I think. We'd like to hear what you think. Email us at the show at ems1.com. Is concealed carry a, a fundamental right that we should be able to exercise on duty as well as, as in our personal lives? Or is it a Pandora's box that only can spell doom for uh, EMS as we know it? We'd like to hear your thoughts. Email us at the show at ems1.com. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes. And for myself and co host Chris Sabalero, thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. We'll catch you guys next week.